On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss vaccine mandates, recent and upcoming virtual conferences, and in our focus segment, review the proposed Medicare quality reporting requirements related to OAS caps and patient satisfaction, discuss patient communications and engagement, and interview Spencer Kelp with Dialogue Health regarding technological advances in patient communications. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Dialogue Health. Dialogue Health's business text messaging platform is transforming patient engagement and employee communication. For more information about how Dialogue Health can help your ASC, visit DialogueHealth.com. That's D-I-A-L-O-G-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Welcome to episode 141 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for October 11th, 2021. We're recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York. This is Susan Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. John is the author of over 10 books on the ASC industry and a frequent industry speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. Well, here we are uh, Mm -hmm. recording on the Monday after our wonderful medical director conference, first in the industry. Nobody has ever done it before, and we had, what was it, about 15 participants Mm -hmm. in the program. Uh, I was quite surprised that uh, we weren't quite sure how well it would go over. Obviously, we would like it to be 50 people, but... (laughs) For our first try, it wasn't too bad. So uh, thank you to all of the medical directors that joined us. It is something we're going to continue doing. We're talking about whether we're going to do another one, you know, like more than one per year mm-hmm. or uh, whether one a year is enough. And we are going to be – we did record the um, educational section of it. We didn't record yes. the, um, the the dialogue between the, the different medical right directors, uh, like the breakout. Uh, but um, we, uh, we'll make that available shortly uh, for sale for anybody for anybody that wants their medical directors to, to learn what what the job of a medical director is. So I thought it went off very well. And, and of course, we're now preparing for our upcoming conference. The Conditions for Coverage Conference. That's right. The Medicare Conditions for Coverage mm-hmm. and Interpretive Guidelines yes. Conference to have its long name there. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be in two weeks. So we're very, well, it's actually a week from Friday. So yeah. if you haven't signed up yet, make sure you go to our website at ASCPodcast.com. I mean, I think that can be useful for anybody that works in an ASC. That's, I mean, right. that's kind of the basis for everything. So it's yeah, probably it's the one conference that I could say everybody could probably go to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, anybody within your organization, anybody that's interested in starting an ASC, anybody that's been doing ASC for a very long time. And, you know, we're, we have seen mm-hmm. quite a, it's actually uh, going to be very well attended, but, uh, We'll give you more information at the end of the podcast of the, the date. But to sign up for it, if you're so anxious that you want to sign up before the end of the podcast, go to ASCPodcast.com. And, of course, our boot camp is coming up. Our November boot camp for uh, nursing directors is coming up. You know, Sue and I, uh, we just came off the um, 
the tour, shall we say, of uh, state associations there, mm-hmm. Ohio, New York. I was out in uh, in Texas also. And uh, we uh, really had a, a wonderful opportunity to talk to a lot of individuals that might be interested in signing up. So we have a few more people signing up and we still have a little bit of time. Uh, but again, if uh, you're interested in uh, having your nurse manager or if you're a nurse manager is interested in learning more about the position and to increase your skills there, go to ASCPodcast.com. So we got some recent news. Do you want to start with the uh, – uh, it's kind of interesting news coming out of uh, SPH Analytics. They, uh, uh, for those that are not familiar with SPH Analytics, they do uh, patient satisfaction surveys for surgery centers. And they recently did a study. It's actually from May. I'm sorry. It, it, it's mm-hmm. been uh, uh, still applicable. Yeah, it was something that I saw that we really hadn't talked about before in conjunction with our friends at the New Jersey Association. So, Sue, why don't you tell us about uh, what they found? So this looks like good news. More than 99% of patients feel as safe today as they did pre-COVID. According to a just-released study conducted by, as you said, SPH Analytics for the New Jersey Association of Ambulatory Surgery Centers, among patients who had a procedure performed at a New Jersey-based ambulatory surgery center between September 2020 and March 2021, more than 99% strongly agreed or agreed that they felt safe at the New Jersey-based ASC that they had visited. This is compared to the more than 99% of patients who strongly agreed or agreed that they felt safe when visiting a New Jersey-based ASC between August 2019 and February 2020, before March 2020, when elective surgeries were put on hold by executive order as a result of the COVID-19 outbreak. You know, what's fascinating about this, too, is that this is, uh, what was there's over 15,000 uh, respondents. I mean, this is uh, very statistically uh, valid. So mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, you know, Jeff Shanton, our good friend over at New Jersey Association, said, you know, that the ASC industry in New Jersey was hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and since the vast majority of procedures performed by ASCs are for elective surgery and diagnostic procedures, visits to New Jersey's ASCs came to a screeching halt during the pandemic there. This coupled with the fact that the New Jersey and the surrounding areas were impa- impacted more severely severely by COVID-19 than other parts of the country, mm-hmm. made this an even more challenging period of uh, for ASCs in the state. So his point really was that um, that it, it, that's an incredible statistic given the specific challenges that they had uh, during the pandemic and and uh, and how heavily. I think New Jersey still has the highest rate of uh, death uh, in mm-hmm. the country per 100,000 um individuals. So kudos to New Jersey. And uh, of course, they only did the study for New Jersey, but I have to assume that that probably is a statistic that would be, um, you know, valid across the country too. And Sue, let's talk a little bit about vaccine mandates. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that uh, the administration has stated that they will require COVID-19 vaccination of staff within all Medicare and Medicaid certified facilities to protect both them and patients from the virus and from, more, from the more contagious Delta variant. Um, what they uh, indicated is facilities across, across the country should make efforts now to get healthcare staff vaccinated and to make sure that they're in compliance with the rule, you know, before it takes effect. Mm-hmm. Now, CMS is uh, working with the CDC uh, to issue emergency regulations. I keep uh, checking the CMS website to see when that gets issued. I suspect there will be some uh, press releases coming out at that same time. But uh, as of the recording of this on October 11th, uh, those interim rules or those executive, uh, those uh, emergency uh, rules have not been issued. 
So uh, what's going to happen is CMS will develop what we'll refer to as an interim final rule with a comment period that will be issued, uh, again, sometime here in October. And they expect that all certified Medicare and Medicaid facilities will act in the best interest of patient and staff by complying with the new COVID-19 vaccination requirements. Um, so I, I think the important thing is we know the rules are coming down the pike. We also know that many states are already implementing this. For example, New York and New Jersey, uh, two states in which we have quite a bit of knowledge, uh, both have implemented uh, mandatory vaccination uh, rules with different um, with different nuances there. For example, in New York, they really don't allow uh, any uh, exceptions uh, except for medical exemptions. They are currently under court order to accept religious exemptions until um, at least the end of uh, this week, the, the week of beginning the 11th. So I, I think we, we should all be prepared for some level of national vaccination mandate uh, when it comes to healthcare institutions. But the other interesting thing, of course, is that President Biden indicated that he is going to order OSHA to establish regulations for large employers. So mm-hmm. uh, he asked the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, to write rules that would require companies with more than 100 employees to mandate coronavirus vaccinations or weekly testing and a mandate for providers, of course, that accept Medicare and Medicaid to mandate those vaccinations. So this is always a lengthy process for OSHA, and it could take quite a bit of time, though yeah. we do expect it to be coming out shortly. Mm-hmm. And that the penalties can be so severe with OSHA that it's a little unnerving, I think think that they're the ones in charge of this. Yeah. Well, and they, you know, the other, as you said, the issue with OSHA is they can fine you Mm -hmm. and they can survey you. And if they come out and do a survey and they find other things in addition to the vaccination Mm -hmm. mandate, that could be even more severe. So uh, this is certainly something that we're going to have to keep a very close eye on. So, so of course, the question begs, why did I bring this up? Why did I bring up the section about companies with over a hundred employees? And the simple fact is this is going to impact us also mainly because of the supply chain. And I have mentioned this before, but we have to be very concerned about uh, national companies that have more than 100 employees or even your local companies that have more than 100 employees for which we are reliant on their supplies. Yeah. We're already seeing issues with um, – you know, the ports in, in Los Angeles, for example, are already seeing issues with truckers. Uh-huh. Uh, and this was even before the mandate came out. They just don't have enough people yeah. to transport all of our supplies and to unload those supplies and to get them that final mile, as I say, to our surgery mm-hmm. center. So I think the vaccine mandate is going to have repercussions all across the supply chain, which could impact the our ability to get supplies. I'm already hearing anecdotally that we're, we're starting to see um, allocations of uh, certain supplies to our mm-hmm. surgery centers, and I think it will affect the drugs also. Interestingly, uh, analysts at Goldman Sachs estimated last month that the vaccine requirements – that were announced by the White House would apply to about 25 million unvaccinated workers in the United States. And I think I read somewhere that they, they believe that that number has been cut in half already. Just the, mm-hmm. just, uh, uh, threatening this has made a lot of people step up. Uh, but, you know, still 12 and a half million people, if that's true, mm-hmm. that are unvaccinated that, you know, if they decide not to work, then yeah. we've got some significant problems. This is what I've been saying all along. Even in our industry, you know, 8%, which I think is the last number I saw, 
of unvaccinated yeah. workers across the board. It's a lot of people. <laughs> it's a lot of people. Yeah. It doesn't, even if it gets down to 1%, it's mm-hmm. still a lot of people. Especially when you're already, everybody's always short-staffed to begin anyway, with. Anyway, yeah. Right so now. I think this is something we've got to be prepared for, you know, develop some uh, emergency preparedness programs for how to deal with staffing. I think we mentioned this in our last episode that you really want to, uh, you know, start figuring out what you're going to do if, number one, you can't get supplies. Number two, if you don't have enough employees, you're going to have to start rationing your physician's access to, um, you know, operating room time. So we have an interesting episode today, don't we? It's something we've never really talked about, which are, uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about patient engagement, uh, patient satisfaction. And I thought I would also kind of start the conversation uh, with a discussion of OAS caps, which we've been concerned about what it's going to mean. Yeah. And Sue, I put together a list of the 30 questions that are oh. on the list right now. So I thought I'd make you read through that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's actually kind of sadly funny when you look through the level of detail, because just yeah. imagine asking the employees mm-hmm. all those questions. You know, Well, I thought about it today because you, you had called about a vacation and the person was very helpful on on the phone right but even so a short survey afterwards is kind of like oh okay well i'll do it because he was really really helpful yeah but i don't think you would have answered 32 questions no matter how happy you were that's exactly i I think it would be frustrating so well so let's take a short break and uh, when we come back we'll talk about uh, OAS caps patient satisfaction patient engagement we're going to have an interview with our friend Spencer Kelp with Dialogue Health to discuss patient engagement and uh, some new technological advancements in communications The ASC Podcast with John Gailey would like to welcome our new sponsor, Dialogue Health. With Dialogue Health, ASC's nationwide and some of the largest ASC management and development companies are tapping into the power of two-way text messaging to greatly improve their patient and staff engagement. Two-way texting allows ASCs to easily and quickly send and receive information from patients' family members, staff, and vendors. Why do ASCs love Dialogue Health? Surgery centers are using Dialogue Health to achieve clinical, financial, and operational improvements in areas including case volume and scheduling, patient collections, safety, pre-op compliance, satisfaction, and online reputation, cost savings, emergency preparedness, and response, and many more. With text messaging as the preferred communication method for a growing number of patients of all ages, ASCs that leverage Dialogue Health quickly realize that two-way texting is a communication tool they've been missing. Adding the Dialogue Health platform is easy thanks to its streamlined setup process and integration with existing systems. It's HIPAA compliant, secure, and reliable. Analytics allow ASCs to monitor the performance of their text messaging campaigns and identify opportunities for improvement. And since Dialogue Health is scalable across the enterprise, as an ASC grows, the platform easily grows with it. Dialogue Health is delivering real and transformational results for ASCs. Recent results include a more than 90% reduction in post-op phone calls, a more than 50% reduction in outstanding patient accounts receivables in just six weeks, and a more than 80% patient survey response rate. To learn what Dialogue Health can do for your ASC, visit DialogueHealth.com and schedule your demo today.
So we're back for our part two uh, focus segment. We're going to talk uh, this week about patient satisfaction and patient engagement, as well as uh, patient communication. So this, so this is kind of the first time we've really delved into this too deeply. Uh, you know, obviously we talk about finance, we talk about you know regulatory compliance, mm-hmm. but with the 2022 payment rule starting the process of implementing OAS caps, uh, I thought it might be a good thing to uh, talk a little bit about OAS caps. Uh, and, you know, how that might fit in with patient satisfaction. So let's start. In, in 2022, the ASC proposed rule, uh, CMS proposed the requirement that OAS caps, better known as Consumer Assessment of Healthcare Providers and Systems Outpatient and Ambulatory Surgery Survey, better known as OAS caps, uh, would be implemented. And so this is what the rule would be, is that uh, these survey-based measures uh, would have voluntary reporting for calendar year 2023 reporting period. In other words, you'd gathered the data in 2022 and reported in 2023. And mandatory reporting would be required in 2023 and then reported in 2024. It gets even more confusing, Sue, of course, mm-hmm. because then uh, – so when you report in 2024, it will be affecting your 2026 Six payment, payment. rule. So when – OAS caps goes into mandatory reporting. If again, if this uh, proposed rule goes forward, you would have to re- do a OAS caps in 2023. You would report it in 2024, and if you don't report it in 2024, your 2026 payment would be reduced by five uh, by two percent uh, of the the increase. So, okay, so let's start with the description of the survey. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS developed the OAS CAP survey to measure the experience of care for patients who have a surgery or a procedure performed in an ambulatory surgery center. So prior to the implementation or prior to uh, the proposal for the implementation of OAS CAPs, which, by the way, has been under development for literally 10 years Mm -hmm. uh, since about 2012, there was no standardized survey instrument to assess patient experience with outpatient surgery centers. Mm -hmm. And we know that because, you know, all of our centers uh, have different types of patient satisfaction surveys and Mm -hmm. different ways of doing it. You know, for the most part, I think, uh, you know, certainly most of the centers over at Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, they hand out a survey tool to patients before they leave. Mm -hmm. And we've always, uh, I know you deal with this a little bit more than I do, we've always tried to keep those those tools simple, like five Mm -hmm. questions. Because we know once you go beyond five questions, it gets a little frustrating. And I think that's a good way to do it. And then if you identify an an area that might need some strengthening, then you go ahead and you can expand that a bit. But you don't want to with all these questions. Exactly. Like if you find that wait time is... Uh, I guess that's the famous one that people yes. are complaining about wait time. Mm-hmm. You might add a few more questions to your survey mm-hmm. uh, while you're doing maybe a, a, a quality improvement survey. So as we talked about earlier, we we know that the more questions you have, the less likely people are going to mm-hmm. stick around long enough to answer all those questions. Yeah. And that brings us to uh, OAS Caps. Now, I think OAS Caps has a, a lot of good things going for it. Um, its purpose really is to have participating ASCs being able to compare their responses against their state and national average. And I think that's a very strong uh, part of this. So in other words, you know, if we use the standardized questions across the board for all ASCs, we'll be able to do real good benchmarking, mm-hmm. um, you know, across all the facilities in our area of our certain type, for example, maybe GI centers, uh, which we can't do now. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how what the survey consists of. 
So they divide in the questions into um, several areas. So before your procedure questions, there's two questions about that. Um, about the facility and the staff are six questions. They've got five questions related to communications about your procedure, um, nine questions about your recovery, two questions about your overall experience, and 13 questions about you. Yeah, right. And the last <laughs> item is really to try to categorize the patient into different mm-hmm. categories, age. Demographics. Demographics, sort of exactly. Okay. So notice that there are five questions about communications uh, about your procedure, which is one of the things we're going to talk about a little later when we uh, – we have uh, mm-hmm. when we have an interview because communications is a vital part of this. I remember my daughter Jenna used to explain to me what she was doing when she was working in the hospital in order to improve their scores. You know, hospitals have a similar CAPS uh, mm-hmm. program there, and uh, they would get a lot of education at the hospital as to how to communicate with patients. In other words, the words to use so that those words matched up with the questions that were going to be asked. And we're going to talk about that in a second here when we go. Uh, through that. Mike, one of my biggest concerns throughout the implementation of OAS CAPS is I don't want to lose the ability that we already have to focus on areas that are important to mm-hmm. us, to ask questions um, that we've traditionally asked. Yeah, and, and there you can. It, it says here that you can add questions to it, right. but I don't know how many people are going to want to add to this amount of questions. Yeah, you can add up to 15 additional questions. So mm-hmm. can you imagine, like, already I think there's at least 30 questions. Yeah. And then add another up to 15. I mean, even if we just add our five that we normally use, mm-hmm. it would be overwhelming. Yeah. So there are three different ways that the, the survey can be administered. And, again, we don't have a lot of details yet as exactly what's going to be in the final rule. But um, but there could be a telephone interview. There could be mailed surveys. In other words, you mail them to the, the patient and then they return it. There's a variation of that where you mail it and then there's a telephone follow-up. Um, and then they've also been working on a web-based version of the survey uh, so that you can go to a website. And I imagine you would be sent an email you know, after the procedure mm-hmm, with mm-hmm, a link to that. To fill out. And, of course, you'll have to pay a company to administer the survey. This is not something the center can do themselves. That's right. And and we do know that it's a four-figure. It's I, I, I think I've heard that it's a minimum of about $5,000 a year to do that. Don't quote me on that, but, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, check it out yourself. We're going to provide a link to uh, the survey materials, but I thought it might be interesting and I don't know if I'm going to say fun, but it is kind of interesting to go through the questions. So, Sue, you and I will alternate back and forth just so that everybody gets a feel for the types of questions that uh, would be included. Mm -hmm. And how probably onerous it's going to be to answer these. So imagine yourself in these. So, so Sue, I put this in there right from the script. So this would be similar to if they were to call you on the phone. Mm -hmm. So So just imagine going, you know, where mm -hmm. would you stop? You know, because that's what I do. I I mean, if the, if any survey takes too long, I just stop them. Yeah. At what point are you, are you just tired of it? So first question, before your procedure, did your doctor or anyone from the facility give you all the information you needed about your procedure? Now, probably in the web-based one or the mailed one, you would say yes or no, whatever. If they're calling you, it it looks like they've got a script that would kind of follow through with that. Like, would you say it was good? Would you say, you know, I don't know if they're going to use a number system or whatever. And again, all of these things are still a work in progress. Mm -hmm. So the second question they would ask is, before your procedure, did your doctor or anyone from the facility give you easy to understand instructions about getting ready for your procedure? And then I'll, I'll group a few of them. So did the check-in process run smoothly? Was the facility clean? Were the clerks and receptionists at the facility helpful? And did the clerks and receptionists at the facility treat you with courtesy and respect? 
And then uh, number seven. Number seven is: Did the doctors and nurses treat you with courtesy and respect? And did the doctors and nurses make sure you were as comfortable as possible? Did the I'm, doc- I'm right now thinking I'm hanging up the phone. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because there were so many <laughs> repeating. Yeah. yeah, right. Did the doctors and nurses explain your procedure in a way that was easy to understand? Anesthesia, something that would make you feel sleepy or go to sleep during your procedure. Were you given anesthesia? So if you did, did the doctor or anyone in the facility explain the process of giving anesthesia in a way that was easy to understand? And did your doctor or anyone from the facility explain the possible side effects of the anesthesia in a way that was easy to understand? And then moving on to discharge, discharge instructions include things like symptoms you should watch after the procedures. Before you left the facility, did you receive written discharge instructions? And question 14, did your doctor or anyone from the facility prepare you for what to expect during your recovery? Um, Did your doctor or anyone from the facility give you information about what to do if you had pain as a result of your procedure? Um, at any time after leaving the facility, did you have pain as a result of your procedure? And before you left the facility, did your doctor or anyone from the facility give you information about what to do if you had nausea or vomiting? And uh, sorry, just an aside, but I wonder if they're going to explain, like, a lot of people are going to have pain. Yeah. And I, that isn't always a bad thing as long as it's somewhat controlled. I wonder if they're going to break that down as was it, you know, bearable or something because yeah. you know, well, you're I, never going to have zero pain. Right, there. exactly. And then, you know, they talk a little bit. Uh, so there's a this script. I mean, it seems to me like the script that we're actually running through, mm-hmm. uh, I only put the questions in. There's also explanations that yeah. go with it. So there's and we're no only halfway way. through. And we are only halfway through. So it just seems to me like there's going to be at least a minute for each of these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, if, you're, if we're asking an elderly patient, we always know that uh, they t- they tend to, uh, to you know, uh, it's probably a bad generalization. But we, we just know from experience that often these conversations can carry on for can a while. On. So before you left the facility, did your doctor or anyone from the facility give you information about what to do if you had nausea or vomiting? At any time after leaving the facility, did you have nausea or vomiting as a result of either your procedure or the anesthesia? And before you left the facility, did your doctor or anyone from the facility give you information about what to do if you had bleeding as a result of your procedure? And then at any time after leaving the facility, did you have bleeding as a result of your procedure? They give possible signs of infection, which include fever, swelling, heat, drainage, or redness. And before you left the facility, did your doctor or anyone from the facility give you information about what to do if you had possible signs of infection? And then, of course, the next question is, at any time after leaving the facility, did you have any signs of infection? And using any number from 0 to 10, where 0 is the worst facility possible and 10 is the best facility possible, what number would you use to rate this facility? So that th- this begins some of those general More normal, um, yeah. you know, uh, uh, questions mm-hmm. about the care. Yeah. Question number 24, would you recommend the facility to your friends and family? Which is probably one of those questions that we all currently mm-hmm. do now. Unfortunately, it's question number 24. And in general, how would you rate your overall health? And then in general, how would you rate your overall mental or emotional health? What is the highest grade or level of school that you have completed? And then, uh, so these questions, of course, these last yeah. questions here are, are demographic. Are you of Hispanic, Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish origin? And what is your race? And right. they give you categories to select from. So I think you get the point, mm-hmm. you know, um, that these are very highly nuanced questions that mm-hmm. I think people will get frustrated answering uh, we do know, of course, the people that are most upset at the care will most likely be the ones that will spend a lot more time going through this. Yeah. 
So I think one of the critical things, Sue, is we're trying to um, find a way to improve patient satisfaction, even absent the OAS caps, is by improving patient communication. Mm -hmm. In other words, how do we communicate with patients before? How do we make sure that they're well prepared for the procedure and understand what's going to happen during the procedure uh, and what will happen afterwards, what your your discharge is going to be like. And I think the pandemic has really changed the way that we communicate with our patients. Yeah. You know, one thing that that we always had done in the past is we allowed family members to come back after the procedure is mm -hmm. done mm -hmm. and, um, you know, be with the patient to hear the discharge instructions and to help the patient in recovery and make sure that the, the family member, you know, hears the things that the patient might not hear yeah. uh, because of either the, the procedure that was being, you know, ha being just recovered mm -hmm. from the procedure or, of course, the anesthesia mm -hmm. implications of it. In many centers, many of our centers, for example, still the family members are not back yet. Mm -hmm. So, Good communication uh, with not only the patient but the family members is extremely important. And, of course, with that, uh, post-op communication is just as important. How do we communicate with them to to make sure that they recovered well? You know, that is an accreditation standard, for example, that we need to have good communication or we need to communicate with the patient to find how well they recovered after the procedure. So as we move into the new era, sir, uh, so when I was down in Texas, uh, I was on a panel, and I think I'm going to mention this in a previous episode. I was in a panel talking about marketing, mm -hmm. and a lot of that conversation talked about, you know, how we have a social media presence, you know, what happens in our websites. And I think it's very apparent right now that people are becoming much more comfortable with electronic communication, uh, which means that we really have to start thinking in the surgery center as to how are we going to communicate with patients that are more comfortable with electronic communication, which means that we need to spend some time looking at our websites, making sure that they're useful to patients, uh, and then looking at our communication prior. I, I think it's fair to say that telephone communication is starting to decline. Um, you know, I think most of us still rely on it, but I think we're going to be finding us using more websites uh, you know, for example, for preoperative conversations about the procedure, we'll have asking our patients to log in and give us their health history mm -hmm. uh, from a website as opposed to getting a, a telephone interview. Now that, you know, that's a slow process and I don't know how long it'll take to m move in that direction, but that's certainly the direction we're heading. So you need to spend some time looking at your website, determining its usefulness and making sure that you keep it up to date. Likewise, with email, you need to, you know, make sure that you have, if you're going to use email, that you do it in a proper way, that, uh, um, you know, that as much as possible, you keep that information confidential. And now we're also starting to see texting. Now, the problem with both email and texting is that that can be quite problematic from a HIPAA standpoint, mm -hmm. um, yeah. much more so than, you know, telephone calls. At least you can try to make sure who, who you're talking to on the other end. So, what we uh, decided to do is we decided to call upon uh, uh, Spencer Kelp, and he's with an organization called Dialogue Health. Now, uh, Spencer's company has a tool that would allow a HIPAA-compliant communication with the patient. Mm -hmm. But what we asked in this interview is to talk about patient engagement, you know, the different aspects of it, the different times that we communicate with a patient and how an electronic solution such, such as his, um, and there are many other, you know, competitors out mm -hmm. there, but it's specifically, you know, how this type of uh, a patient engagement can, can happen. So let's listen to this uh, interview with Spencer Kelp. And after that, we'll go into our, our section three. So Sue and I are here with Spencer Kelp. He's the Director of Key Accounts for Dialogue Health. We're going to talk today about patient engagement, patient satisfaction, you know, how to engage patients better in our surgery centers. Welcome, Spencer. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. 
So you uh, work with a company that basically has a texting uh, solution that helps uh, surgery centers to uh, find a better way to communicate with their patients. So we thought we would talk about what, what are different ways that we can engage our patients better? How can we communicate with them better? I think in today's environment, as we're starting to see uh, more patients coming to the surgery center that perhaps might have been going to a, a hospital, for example, in the past, are finding the surgery center solution much better since nobody wants to be in a hospital, uh, you know, with, uh, with COVID. So why don't we start by talking about how we can actually improve clinical outcomes? I think, you know, if we're going to start by talking about anything, let's talk about the most important thing. How can we actually improve the quality of care that we're providing to our patients and the outcomes that a patient has? So can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on that? Sure. There's a couple of ways. And one of the most popular that we're finding is since it's ambulatory, right, there's a lot of responsibility that's actually put onto the patient to prep, to make sure to remember their appointment. So what, what are they supposed to do before coming into their appointment? What are they supposed to bring? What are the COVID policies? <laughs> All right. of these sort of things we're, we're asking the patients to, to remember or do. Um, so I'd say if you want to improve clinical outcomes, the best place to start is educating them or hitting the easy button really for them before they ever even come in for their appointment. And the best way that most people today in their busy lives find that is just texting it, right? Give me a text reminder when I need it, when I'm supposed to have it, that, hey, you have an appointment. Are you still coming in? Have you forgotten about it? Did you schedule something else? You're going to be out of town. Um, you know what you know, time so it's going to be. Right. (laughs) And then also uh, links, right? So most people, when they have a cell phone these days, they don't just have a flip phone that texts, right? There, there are populations that do, um, but most even have smartphones. They've got iOS or Android. So you can hit the easy button for your patients by click this link. Here's all the things that you're supposed to do for your prep before you come in. Or here's the paperwork we're going to ask you to bring whenever you come in, you know, those sort of things. Or if you need to reschedule, click this link, let us know, you know, not just that you're not coming in for this appointment, but we also want to keep you in our network. So let us know when you can come in. When, when would you like to reschedule? So, you know, improving clinical outcomes by doing those sort of things, that's going to improve a lot more on time starts. Also, one of the big headaches that ASCs will deal with and pretty much any operational person will tell you the same thing is no shows, 24 hour cancellations, no goes, right? Those sort of things. So, you know, by just simply communicating a little bit better, a little bit more conveniently from the patient experience, you can improve those outcomes. And then by putting in those things that we talked about with the, hey, here are your instructions that you're supposed to do. This is when you're supposed to start your path. Remember, no coffee tomorrow morning or anything until after your appointment, sending those pieces of information at the right time, like the evening before when they're sitting down for dinner, that's a great time to improve those no-goes or non-compliant patients as well. So I'd I'd say start there before they ever get into your care, before they ever come in, that's where you should be starting that communication piece. And then you've got them in your database. You've got them used to texting and communicating the way that you want. So if you progress a little bit further, hey, here's an easy way to pay your bill. Here's an easy way to remind you that for your colonoscopy, your endoscopy, these things that are recurring events that may happen every one years, five years, what's the best way to let them know, hey, record show, it's time for you to go ahead and schedule this, continue it with uh, that text. 
just going to say, it does seem like most centers that we work with, the biggest cancellations are either the no-shows or often people that forget they can't have their coffee in the morning or they can't have any breakfast. So, um, yeah, that, that could really improve things quite a bit. Well, and I, if you think about the history of, of uh, the way we engage with people, you know, I am so frustrated with email right now because, you know, you and I are doing this interview. I'll be away from the email for about an hour. When I go back, there'll be 100 emails that will have accumulated. Needless to say, things get missed. I throw things out in my email that I probably shouldn't. Uh, and, and so much of our email just, to, you know, distracts us from trying to get things done. And, of course, before that, you know, we had telephone and then we, uh, you know, we, we had the mail. Nobody uses the, the mail anymore for this type of engagement. And telephone, you know, people frankly don't, you know, answer the phone unless it's a number they know. Mm -hmm. So I think you're right. I think the next genesis is going to be, the next uh, transition is going to be toward more texting, uh, where we have much more patient contact, especially with cell phones getting to the point where, as you said, you can put a whole bunch of links in there that they can use to immediately uh, respond to any of the things that you've indicated uh, need to be done prior to the surgery. And I, I would say, so kind of walked over this and we said, yeah, I think the future will be texting. That'll be the next thing. It's not the next thing. It's already here. Right. <laughs> well, The people are already saying like, mm -hmm. hey, this is how we communicate, not only yeah. with our friends and family, but this is how we expect to communicate with businesses, the restaurants where we make appointments and hey, if we're online shopping, what are my delivery updates? What's yeah. all this helpful information that I can just take a quick peek at, right? And it's not going to interrupt my day. Right. Um, so that, that's the only thing that, that I tell people when they're saying, yeah, I think this texting, that, that really is the way to go, right? With, that's the, the future. Yeah. <laughs> it's already here. It's we're just a little bit behind. Side. We're, we're just catching up to it. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I want to put this also in the context of quality improvement, uh, here. And again, just for our listeners, you know, if you're doing, uh, you're going through your quality improvement and you find that your satisfaction, well, a couple things. First of all, as Sue mentioned, if your cancellation rates are, are going through the roof, if you're finding that you can't get a hold of patients beforehand, you know, those, that's the type of data you should be collecting up front is, you know, how, how frequently can you communicate? Can, mm -hmm. can you connect with somebody by telephone, uh, beforehand? If that number is, is dropping, then it's time to start thinking about other solutions. Uh, likewise, if you're finding your cancellation rates going up on the day of surgery because people did not uh, do what a telephone call would have told them to do yeah. beforehand or what they were given instructions in the office to do uh, that they just mm -hmm. flatly forgot, then that is, again, another time to start thinking about other ways to engage with the patient beforehand. So I, I think, uh, you know, Spencer, you, you hit it right on the nail there, you know, that, right on the head there um, that, uh, uh, you know, this is something that uh, I think you're going to find those numbers increasing uh, and you need to keep a track a track of it through your tracking and trending methods in your QAPI program. Mm -hmm. So that kind of leads us into the next area, which is improving staff workflows. You know, it kind of does tie into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you think this new way of engaging with our patients or expanding the way that we're already engaging with each other into, into the healthcare field can help improve staff workflows? Think about what the current workflow is today right? For a lot of people, it's, okay, I'm going to look at my schedule. If I have 30 cases today or 30 cases on Friday or whatever it is, we look into the schedule and then you start picking up the phone and dialing people one by one. So you look up the record, pick up the receiver, dial 10 digits so somebody answer. If not, leave a voicemail. And that's only if they'd have a voicemail where the voicemail box isn't full or set up yet. <laughs> yeah. right? like, ah, great. Now this will be a 
you know, red flag for a non-compliant patient coming in again versus. So if you take that and then just say, hey, before we start picking up those phone calls and calling people one by one, I'm going to quickly look into a software, a solution to say how many of these people got texts that said, hey, are you coming in? How many didn't get that text? Maybe they don't have a cell phone number, but I can quickly and easily see who does or who doesn't. How many phone calls can I you know, remove? And then from there, if you've got, say, two-way texting, in my opinion, way better than a notification system that yeah. just says you have an appointment. But now you can actually see the people who said, yes, I'm going to confirm this appointment right now, right? Or no, I don't need any follow-up assistance after my appointment. I'm self-identifying on my own time and at my own convenience, I'm okay. So now before you go in and start doing, hey, I'm sending out all of my emails or I'm making my phone calls one by one, do a quick scan. How many of those have I eliminated? You know, you eliminate 25 out of those 30. Well, great. That's that's time savings. That's just going to compound every single day. So that's the immediate thing that I think is from the the staff perspective is just that time savings of I don't have to just keep throwing more resources because my metrics are, are, you know, increasingly getting higher in terms of no shows and no goes or, uh, you know, follow ups or readmittance or those sort of things. Um, So you don't have to throw more resources at it, right? You can just install a technology <laughs> you offset some of those yeah and especially then the when we're is, uh, especially when we're in, a, in an era right now where our nursing staff who who are often the ones that are making those phone calls now you know depending upon your organization that might mm-hmm. be different it really doesn't matter though i mean we're all short on staff right now and the more that we can uh, improve the efficiency of the nurses so they're they're every time that they make a phone call that they don't get through to a patient is wasted time uh, here, I think what you're saying right. is, that, you know, that if the system can make that connection so that the patient then calls or you know that you're going to have a live number that, to call afterward, you know, after the uh, the text message goes out, that's going to improve the efficiency of the nursing staff that are uh, making those pre-op phone calls. Actually, and the same thing can be said. I know we're going to talk about that in a bit, the post-op call, too. I mean, that's a perfect segue, right? So that that's a lot of places where ASEs, they go... You know what? All of this stuff that Spencer, you mentioned before an appointment, that sounds really, really, really nice and good. But I'm actually, we need more bandwidth. That is our our, our pressing issue. That's our burning deck. What's the number one thing you can think of to save staff time? Do you do a post-op (laughs) check-in? Yes. Okay. Do you call 100% of those patients? Yes. What if I could remove 80% of those? Okay, that's where we're going to start is just you don't need to call everybody to find out who you need to call. Find out who you need to call, then call those people. And it's probably like one or two, right, on any given day. And then the other thing that I find, too, with these businesses is if you've got, say, a recall program or if you've got mailers that go out to people or you're emailing, it's hard to track the metrics of a mailer or how many of these phone calls were successful. Right. You made the phone calls, but, you know, it's, it's much harder to track those sort of things. And I think data these days is starting to drive a lot of the business decisions on how do we become more efficient? How do we get a better patient satisfaction? How do we improve our benchmarks? So if you've got a technology and a solution in there where everything is logged, it's easy to say, I'm calling everybody now or no show rates are 10 yeah. percent. I added texting. Is it easy to quantify? Yeah, that went down. 
you know, 10%. And, and I think that's the, the added benefit of uh, workflow efficiencies on top of just not making phone calls. You can look at the data that you've got in your system and say, well, this worked well over here. Could we also apply this over here? Could we apply it to bill pack? Could we apply it to post op? Could we apply it to recalls? You know, all of these different types of programs that you're looking for, if it's in a trackable solution, makes it easy to just start compounding efficiencies on top of efficiencies. Well, and and let's point something out here too is that um, the standard texting solution that we all have, you know, using your cell phone is not ideal for this because. Uh, we still have to have documentation of that post-op engagement as well as the pre-op engagement. So whatever system you have has to have that capability of documenting uh, that that interaction that you have or the computer had with the patient so that you can put that into the patient chart afterwards, both the pre-op and the post-op side. So I want to point that out as a surveyor, as a AAAC surveyor, of course, is the importance of making sure you have good documentation that you followed up with the patient after the procedure was been done, even if it even if it wasn't a real person, if everything was perfect, as you mentioned, Spencer, if everything was perfect, then the computer, you know, the, the, the message went out. Did you have any complications? The patient texts us back and says, no, everything was fine. Uh, that's great, but you still have to have documentation of that, which a standard texting solution is just not going to have for you. Right, right. Just from somebody's cell phone, right? CMS right. comes on site and says, hey, show me your post-op check-in. Oh, Susie texted her. <laughs> uh, not to mention the whole issue of that somewhere <laughs> <laughs> right versus yeah if you've, if you've got a, a real be it um some sort of connection from your emr your scheduler there are places that offer you know solutions that are robust and in terms of hey we do all kinds of things uh and then there's ones that just say look we're going to automatically log it you've got your dashboard you've got everything you can see here cms comes on site says hey Show me your post-op follow-up for um, Derek for Wednesday. Okay, here it is. Done. (laughs) Ultimately, all of this leads into patient satisfaction, though, improving the patient experience, making sure that the patient uh, has good things to say about us afterwards, especially as we move into the era of of uh, OAS caps where, you know, CMS is going to require us to, uh, you know, not only, uh, you know, do patient satisfaction surveys, but, uh, you know, really track it in a consistent way across the country. So uh, as we move into the OAS caps areas, uh, that's going to take effect in 2023. We really want to have better ways of, of making sure that uh, our patient satisfaction remains high. How can uh, these alternate communication systems help improve patient satisfaction? I think it goes hand in hand with everything that we've been talking about so far with hitting that easy button in terms of their communication, right? Um, because from a patient experience, if they don't remember to do their prep work, if they don't remember to show up on time or get delayed or they drink their coffee while it's their fault, right? You told them, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. If they forget and they show up, now they've blocked out their time to come in. They've taken off work. They've showed up. They've come in and they can't do it. That's mm-hmm. still a negative experience. Be it their fault or otherwise, they don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, and, and that's, you know, one of the ways is just saying, look, we know in, in accepting and empathizing, you have a busy life. You've got this is something outside of your normal day-to-day that you're already doing. This is an extra step. We need to make it as easy for you as possible. Um, those sort of things. And, and I would say it goes all the way through, hey, I don't have to 
step out of my meeting, see who's calling me. It might be my doctor. I got to see if it's important or I'm waiting on results, right? Just, just type, I'm in a meeting. Great. I've got my update. Do you need us to give you a call for any reason? No, you can handle that in a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the same thing with bill pay. So personally, I, not only do I work in the space of texting and healthcare and all of those sort of things, but I've got a daughter who's three and a daughter who's one and pediatrician appointments are all the time. And I'm very guilty of being caught behind. And the pediatrician just texts me, Hey, you owe $160. Click this link and pay it. So it's not even, there's a bill waiting for you to view and this and that. They just flat out say, you owe this much. Can you pay it right now? And for me, in my experience, I could just check that off the list. That's yeah. one last thing in my, you know, busy life that I, I've got to think about or, you know, is occupying space in my head. I can just get it done, click the link right from my phone, move on. Right? Without and pulling now, up another app or worrying about right, another, without, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have yeah. to pull up an app. I don't have to go to uh, a computer, right? Look things up. I'm not pulling a piece of mail. Uh, where did it go? And there's a website. Let me type it in here with no typos or uh, I forgot my username or my password. But it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Just click here. Your phone's going to remember that username and password. Click, click, done. And now I'm back to eating my salad at lunch or whatever I was doing before, right? There, There's no interruption. It takes 10 minutes. So um, all of those sort of things as well, the more things we can hit the easy button on, the, the better that patient experience becomes. And those satisfaction surveys uh, go go hand in hand with it, right? Um, well, and- it, it seems to me too that, that this is instantaneous. Um, I mean, you know, we know when we send out surveys, for example, patient satisfaction surveys at the end of the month or under OAS caps, we might, you know, we'll get the results 30, 45 days afterwards. That's a long lag time to get that information. Uh, aren't you also suggesting that this is a much more, uh, much quicker way of getting this information back almost in real time? If, if you do it by text. Yeah. It's absolutely real time. There's a real time. So a lot of ASCs that I work with will say, hey, can we just do like a one to five rating? I mean, the the surveys and the scores and all of those things, those are good. We definitely want to improve those. But as a facility who's looking at and, and earnestly trying to improve that patient experience, we want the real time feedback loop, right? Mm-hmm. One to five. How's your experience? And and Let fill this know. out before oh, before they fill out the OAS caps, uh, you know, survey. In other words, that way you can you can get the feedback. You can figure out whether there was any misunderstanding that resulted in that bad rating. Uh, maybe you know, calm them down a little bit. What, whatever needs to be done in order to make them happy if if something didn't go quite perfectly during that event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's one of the the human elements of, of things. If hey, if you go, you know buy a car and you just buy a car, you just walk away and you go, my experience was okay. But for whatever reason, if you go buy a car and something was wrong and that dealership says, no, 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 bring it back in. We're going to take care of it. Yeah. And they fix it and they're due diligence. You feel like you had a better experience. You turned it around. <laughs> you yeah, exactly. that, that works. Right. So same thing with, with, with surveys as well. You, you get, you start to see those types of responses. Anything you'd like to add to that? I felt like they really cared yeah. uh, about my experience. And, you know, there's an issue and they jumped on it right away and they wanted to make sure that I was completely taken care of, you know, so having that opportunity also gives you that, that uh, improved boost when you've got the real time ability to see, Hey, this is, you know, the issue we can resolve it very, very quickly. So Spencer, you know, I'm old 
Um, Sue is, of course, a lot younger than I am, but um, personal touch, you know, it just seems to me, you know, I want to be on the phone with somebody. I want to talk to somebody. Uh, Now, I think there's a couple problems with that. First of all, as I said, I'm old. Uh, And second, the world is moving on, you know, and and, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, I think there's a, a lot of myths out there about, you know, about how this type of communication could be impersonal. I love the personal touch because as you pointed out, it is a myth. The things that that are moving, uh, the way that communications and personal touch are are moving on that continuum of, it's becoming to the point where if it's not already there, if you're calling me, you don't know me. You're not in my inner circle. Mm -hmm. Nobody calls me, right? If they're in the, the inner circle, they text. They, they, they know. So the businesses that I work with, my Amazon, they text me updates and my delivery driver does a call to see when I'm going to be there. Just, Hey, your package is going to be delivered around this time. Mm-hmm. Um, my friends and family, Hey, this is what we're doing. Okay, great. Now we don't need to call and plan it out. So that inner circle really is the text in the mm-hmm. technology, but let's just for a moment say, okay, but there's a population where that's not true. When you said, Hey, I'm old. I, I prefer a personal touch with the air quotes <laughs> that I'm doing on here. Um, let's not say that we are forcing everybody to text, mm-hmm. right? You're just adding another communication channel. You're adding another option for those patients to be able to choose how do I prefer to be communicated with? So mm-hmm. the standard TCPA compliance is you have to let them know Hey, you're being opted in for this to, we're going to give you some valuable updates and ask you questions, or this is a communication channel for us, but you can reply stop at any time. So that's the thing that I always want um, centers to understand when they're making a decision like this is that you're not by saying, Hey, I think that they prefer a personal touch. You're making that choice for your patients and it might not be the right call. Mm -hmm. And you have to be, and if you are making that call, you have to be at least 50% 50% accurate or better, yeah. right? If I'm going to make this hard line, at least I don't, I want at least half of my patients or 51% to like it more than the other. Otherwise I'm wrong. Um, so texting, it just gives you the option to say for those who want text, great. They're going to remain opted in and they're going to text for those who want a personal touch. They're going to opt out and we're going to be calling them. Right. So, you know, with, with those things, first off the personal touch, Believe it or not, it now is the text. That means you know how to communicate with me. You're in the inner circle. We can go back and forth, and I will let you in. If you're calling me, you're probably 80% likely I'm going to screen that call, 80% yeah. chance. So the moving, moving the other way, too, and I don't want to ignore the fact that nobody who is in texting, I don't think, <laughs> if, if, if they disagree, maybe you run for the hills, but I don't think anybody would say, hey, every communication should be a text. Yeah. No, it just gives you another tool in your tool bag. Well, it seems to me, too. I mean, you're absolutely right about, you know, it, when you get a telephone call, you have to answer it right away or listen for the the, the, the voice message that comes after it. With a text, you can choose to answer it now. You can choose to answer it later. A lot of people, and myself included, you know, right now, as much as I say I'm old and all that, you know, taking phone calls when you're getting, you know, hundreds of communications a day from people literally just kind of interferes with your daily schedule because those are things that are, they're not on your uh, your daily uh, 
you know, calendar as to who you're going to communicate with at, at what time. There's the, there are interruptions. Yeah, it's an interruption. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the different demographics that we run into? Is your experience that older people have more of a problem with this text, these types of texting solutions than younger people do? I mean, I think we can all agree that uh, younger people have no problem with this communication. What's what's been the experience with older people? So there is a line there, but I don't think that that line of differentiation is where everybody thinks it is. Mm -hmm. I think that when we group people, we forget to include ourselves in those data sets. (laughs) I'll talk to physicians and doctors and go, I don't know. I don't think people over 50 text. Oh, sorry. How old are you? (laughs) I'm 70. If my 90 (laughs) year old mother can If my 90-year-old mother can text, anybody can text. Except my right, mother. Right, right. <laughs> <It's okay>. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't look at her email or a... through her phone either, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> my, my, my grandma, so she is – we just went and uh, celebrated her 86th birthday, mm. and um, she texts – yeah. Purely so she can get photos of the grandkids. Yeah, yeah. that's it. So, that's exactly you know, right. The rest of the that's stuff, exactly. she could take it or leave it. Doesn't want to miss out on those photos. So, you know, is it her preferred channel? The answer is no. Right? She yeah. still prefers a phone call, and and she likes that. Uh, but she is texting, and she's not going to miss out on that that channel, right? Because there's an opportunity lost there for her, um, since we don't live close by. Um, but when it comes to texting, yes, there are things to the the age demographic there is a drop off there but we are talking about saying okay if you're like 70 plus so up to 65 it doesn't matter that demographic those are the people running your companies and running the country and and doing all of that they're they are connected they're in so once you get into the upper echelons of you know 70s 80s now we're talking there's a drop off so that's the first thing to know is like what percentage of your population is in that bucket because that's where you'll see that drop off and when i say drop off i'm talking about hey 98 percent of americans have the ability to text whether you have a smartphone or data plan or not you've got the ability to text and the drop off goes to like 92 percent yeah so you're still so hey if you're getting screened 80 percent of the time what if you could just get a confirmed delivery rate or confirmation 80% of the time. So you flip your, Hey, I can only connect 20% of the time to, I only didn't connect with 20% of the people. That's a massive shift. So there's not a big risk to doing something like this because Mm -hmm. you still have your phone. We're not taking your emails away. If you know, if if you do something like this, you, you've got all those channels. Um, so yeah, there, there is a drop off. It is real, but it's not this big, you know, chasm that people think it is. It's not this huge gap. There's a small drop off. Yeah. Now, now we talked about how, uh, you know, this is not something you can do with your cell phone. This is not something that you can do with your, uh, you know, you don't take a bunch of nurses and say, hey, you know, here's a here's a cell phone for you. This I want you to use this for company business and and text all the patients from it. Well, first of all, talk about the reasons why you can't do that, and then talk about how how do we choose a solution out there? You know, there's you know there's a lot of uh, options available, new you know, new options coming out every day. So start with uh, why can't we use a, a cell phone and then transition into what should we be looking for when we're looking for a different solution? 
there's so many reasons why you can't use a, a cell phone, mainly because as a business, how do you control that? Yeah. How do you control and monitor what's being sent back and forth there? So that's a huge risk. Um, two, uh, if, if you've got a personal cell phone, well, it's a lot easier to lose a cell phone, for example, yeah. than it is to, you, you can't lose the internet, right? You don't, you don't have that ability to just go, oh, we've misplaced this. So, and there's and no then, documentation you know, trail. There's no easy documentation right. trail. You can't separate it out by patient. And then by the time you have, you know, 2000 text messages, you got the same problem that you had with the emails before. Right. Exactly. Right. So when you think of that documentation and where do you house all of that? And then, oh, are, are the uh, messages being encrypted in transit? Are they encrypted at rest? Who's securing all of these? You're going to want a stand, you know, a, a standard and a staple when it comes to uh, the protection and all of the compliance regulations. Uh, you you got to have somebody who's checking all of those boxes and making sure it's up to date. AT and T isn't doing that. They're telecommunications. They're not in healthcare, right? So you want a, a healthcare company that's got that technology in there to make sure that you're they're keeping you compliant, right? Um, and then to all of the, the points that you said, too, with, hey, where are the records being kept and all of those sort of things. Um, and then from a, a workflow standpoint, I mean, think about that as well. You have a solution where you could use your keyboard anytime you go and you can text back and forth. You've got a dashboard. You can see all of the responses that you're looking for. You can parse them out can't do that on the phone. You're texting individuals, right? Well, um, and and, plus, and if you have more than one person that's doing it, how do you coordinate those different? Uh, um, you know, how do you how do you make sure somebody doesn't call the same patient? Right. It should be in a singular dashboard so that there's that transparency. Everybody knows what's going on, um, and and you've got that accountability in there as well. So. Um, and then to your point, some of the things that, that uh, you should look for in a good texting solution, I think automated messaging is the number one, right? That's number one with a bullet. That is whenever you've got the uh, case that gets scheduled, you should be able to automatically send out messages before or after. So if it's part of your EMR, your case management solution, these sort of things, it'll automatically integrate. If it's not part of that, if you're doing another vendor, make sure it integrates. Mm -hmm. So your staff now is just saying, hey, we put in a case, we're just removing all the phone calls leading up to the appointment and the follow-up afterwards. Um, and the, the dovetail off of that is that I think that a good solution is not going to be a notification system. It's not going to be one-way communication right. of you just giving updates. It's we are asking for data back from you as well because we want you to be able to self-identify if you're not having issues, if you don't understand your instructions, if you do need a, a call from a nurse or anything you're unclear of, we want to be able to see that and see if it's triage. The next thing that I would say, I, I would say two more checkpoints really on, on a good solution uh, in addition to what we've already said is what about the ability to individually text or respond to a patient. So I've called you once, I've called you twice. Now what? You have a voicemail that can, you're just stuck, right? You can't get in, you, you have an unreachable patient. But if you have the ability to one-off text an individual, you could say, hey, this is 
who's calling you? Yeah. <laughs> it's your care provider, right? This is this is me. I've got important information. I, I can't text you necessarily, right? We're not trying to make everything in text, but I got to have a phone call with you. I'm calling from this number or call me when you're available. So you can reach unreachable patients mm-hmm. um, in that way as well. And then the final good checkpoint that I would say um, is what about your one-to-many? So it's not automated necessarily, but if, hey, we've got a blizzard, hurricane, mm-hmm. flash floods, wildfires, doctor is sick, whatever the you know case may be, how do I update a large subset of those patients other than calling them one by one? Well, and especially if you're not in the surgery center, like uh, we live up in the Northeast, you know, the major storm here, of course, caused a lot of our centers to have to shut down and cancel. And if they didn't take that list of all the patients before they left that day, you know, to make those phone calls, they're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Somebody had to go into the office to make that call. Uh, Now, of course, modern computer systems and modern EMR systems probably gave them access to that remotely. But again, without an automated solution, you're making... 45 phone calls if you got 45 cases scheduled for the day. Uh, mm-hmm. Automating that See, that's, is going to be great. That's something that most people don't even think of, right? You thought of that one right away. Yeah. A lot of people don't don't even think of that. And I think that for a fundamental system, that may not be necessary. I know that's a differentiator with, with us that that's what we bring to the table is, oh, guess what? You have to cancel all of your appointments for tomorrow morning because you know you're going to be snowed in. Don't go run into the office before the snowstorm really yeah. hits. Or this, uh, Stay on your couch. Keep your red wine and your popcorn and your movie going. Just log into the system. You've got the internet, so just log in and, and all of those. So, you know, software as a service or cloud-based or remote access, yeah. that is a definite plus. And the reason I went that way, uh, Spencer, because I was the guy when I was the administrator who had to make those 45 phone calls uh, or who had to go into the office to get the list of all the patients because he didn't know that there was going to be a snowstorm the next day and didn't bring a a list home with him. Um, But, yeah, I mean, obviously we have better, different solutions today, but often it still means a phone call um, unless you have an automated solution. I, I agree. That's something that, that blows people's mind when, you know, they want to, they go, how do we set this up? You know, mm-hmm. when are you going to be here? When are you going to do an on-prem setup? And yeah. what com- how many computers can we put it on? No, no, no. We're going to hit the easy button. <laughs> you want to hit the easy yeah. button for your patients. We're going to do the same for you. And just make it, if you've logged into Amazon before or any other online account, it's exact same, same sort of deal there. So that, that one I would, uh, I would, Say you teed up. <laughs> well, I, that, but was, Spencer. that was on your checklist of things <laughs> yeah. to, to make to hit that easy button. So, Spencer, you know, I've got a tiny little surgery center. I only do five cases a day, three days a week. I can't afford this type of solution, right? Nah. <laughs> yeah. The good thing, the good thing about these solutions. So, whether it's ours, another one. Um, Pricing wise, I think should be scaling. So it should match. You should have the ability to set up a program that works well for your facility. And that includes cost and budget, right? Just as much as functionality. Um, But I have seen time and time again, without fail, if you're texting, if you're making an investment in something like better communication, texting, these are not expensive setups mm-hmm. if they are they shouldn't be you need to go yeah, somewhere else exactly you need to shop right. the market yeah. but they and 
the return is there. So there are few products or services for a business that are going to meet three standards. One is, you know, from, from the top, from the board of your ASC, they want to know, does this make me more money? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. If you're not, if you're not having 10% of your schedule fall off because they aren't complying or they didn't show up or they went somewhere else after they scheduled with you, that directly makes more money. Hey, can it, you know, improve our workflows? Can it reduce our cost? Can it do all of uh, the things that my staff also wants it, wants it to do while it's making me money? Yes, right? Texting can do that because it's just very, very simple, very affordable, and it in itself is an efficiency. It's built to be quick, easy. An SMS, which is a text, is only 160 characters. Yeah. And then the last thing that box that it checks is, can it do all of that without sacrificing the patient experience? And as we talked about earlier, it actually improves the patient experience. You're going to get better satisfaction scores. So, I, hey, if you're the administrator who was uh, in charge of managing vendors as well as staff workflows, I, help me out if you can name a product or service or a vendor who actually could deliver on all of those. It produces an ROI. It actually uh, reduces costs, improves the workflow, and improves the patient satisfaction. That's hard to find, especially at a price point that's quite reasonable. Yeah. So, I mean, the scalability, looking into the scalability of the products is extremely important as you, because uh, hopefully that, that one place that does five cases three times a week is going to grow into the, uh, uh, the big oak tree that, uh, you know, does 300 cases a week. Um, uh, but if you have to change solutions in the process, then, you know, you've wasted quite a bit of time. Yeah. For, for me, that's a checkbox that I love because I've seen the value of that over and over. Yeah. Hey, we've changed case management solution systems. Hey, we've changed our EMR. Hey, we've changed schedulers. Hey, we've changed billing softwares or whatever. Well, great. You don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? You don't have to throw out all of your history of communications and records and things like that because you changed one of your vendors. So being a platform agnostic is... It's not the baseline fundamental that you need when you're looking for a good software solution, but it certainly helps if and when a business decision like that is made is, well, great, here's one less thing we have to change. Spencer, this has been great. I mean, it, it, we don't always talk a lot about uh, patient engagement on the on the podcast, so I think it's about time that we uh, we have this conversation. So I've enjoyed our time together. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks again for having me on. Really appreciate it. Sure. In this segment, we discuss other learning opportunities in the ASC industry. If you would like your event to be included in the podcast, please send the event information to info at ASCpodcast.com. So our upcoming ASC Conditions for Coverage conference will be on October 22nd, 2021. Uh, for more information about it, go to ASCpodcast.com. And Sue and I, the, the conference will be on a Friday, and we're going to mm -hmm. go through over an eight-hour period all the conditions for coverage and the interpretive guidelines. I'm kind of excited about it. You know, I guess it kind of sounds boring, but it really isn't. I think as you go through these things mm -hmm. and as we talk about some of the um, – 
experiences that you might have with surveyors or as we discuss, mm-hmm. you know, what surveyors would be looking for, I think yeah. it could be quite helpful. And as we mentioned earlier, really, this is a conference that could be for everybody, whether you are an owner or, a, you know, an employee or considering mm-hmm. buying a surgery center. This is definitely one of those conferences that everybody could use. And the Washington Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's annual education conference and trade show is November 4th and 5th. 2021 at the Tulalip Resort and Spa in Tulalip, Washington. And again, I apologize to Washington State Association. I, unfortunately, I had a conflict. Otherwise, I, I would be speaking in that uh, at that beautiful resort up there in Washington. And the Pennsylvania Ambulatory Surgery Association's annual meeting is November 8th, 2021 at the Hershey Lodge in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And unfortunately, we generally go to that conference, but we're going to have to skip that one this year also. The 2021 Ambulatory Surgery Center's Congress is November 8th and 9th, 2021 at the Area Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'll be speaking at that conference. I guess I better make my plane reservations yep. for that. I just remembered. <laughs> the ASC Director of Nursing Boot Camp, the November cohort presented by the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, uh, will be November 16th through the 19th. It's going to be presented virtually. It is a follow-up to our May cohort. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of our boot camps, of course, have been very popular, and they're always sold out. So for more information, visit ASCpodcast.com. We did open up another 25 slots for the boot camp, so uh, there should be uh, plenty of availability if you mm-hmm. sign up soon. And ASCA 2022 in Dallas, April 27th through the 30th, 2022 is the live ASC Association Conference is back. John will be speaking and there will be a special track for new ASC administrators. For more information, go to ASCassociation.org. And don't forget to uh, visit our website at ASCpodcast.com for a list of all of our past conferences, which you could uh, get a recording of, as well as uh, upcoming conferences. And also a reminder for everyone to become a patron member of the podcast. The patron member program, which is also known as ASC Central, is an exclusive membership website that provides a one-stop ASC regulatory and accreditation compliance operations and financial management resource for busy administrators, nurse managers, and business office managers. Resources include access to some of our virtual conferences, weekly drop-in sessions uh, with myself and uh, other members of Amateur Healthcare Strategies, you know, various links to information online, policies and procedures, forms, example drill kits, and discounts on services and books, as well as access to AEU credits. Membership helps to defray the cost of producing the podcast, including research, staff, travel costs to conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. For more information, you may visit ASCpodcast.com. Well, that's it for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. And please spread the word about our podcast with your friends and colleagues and do us the honor of hitting the subscribe button. The sound editor for this episode is Susan Cronkite. Executive producer is John Gailey. Research assistance is provided by Susan Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Calaritis, Amy Durbano, Lori Rodericks, and Ann Geyer. Music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah. And the ASC Podcast with... John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and available on all major podcast channels. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Dialogue Health. Dialogue Health's business text messaging platform is transforming patient engagement 
and employee communication. For more information about how Dialogue Health can help your ASC, visit dialoguehealth.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.